Hello, history enthusiasts. Welcome to the Rural Experience in America Community Civics Through Historical Inquiry podcast. The National Council for History Education, a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium, is pleased to present to you a series of podcasts spotlighting the public history projects created by teachers, community partners, and students from all over the United States. My name is Talia, and today I'll be talking to one of the 11 educators who participated in the first year of this project. Listen in as we learn more about how they integrated public history into their classrooms. Let's welcome to the podcast, Bethany Norris. My name is Bethany Norris, and I teach 11th grade U.S. history and AP U.S. history. I would love to learn more about your project, Local History of Thomaston. What I really wanted to get from the students was, at first, an appreciation for the local history. A lot of the kids have said, there's nothing that happens here. We can't wait till we get older and we can leave and we can go away. And so I really wanted them to have an appreciation from where they came from. I am rootless. I was a military brat. So I have this intense appreciation for the fact that their families have been there for so long and that there's so much local history that they can appreciate, but they just overlooked it. So I thought the best way to do that would be to get it from the people who live here, for them to interview people who grew up here and then gain from them what life used to be like. And they can take those experiences that they learned through the local history and they can kind of compare that to what they know, especially if you're comparing what things happened in the past to how they have those same experiences now. And I realized very quickly that um, they didn't understand that interviewing people would give them anything interesting because they thought of history as being political history and only political history. So I thought, okay, well, we're going to have to make sure we really go in depth in what social history is and what public history is. And so we spent a lot of time looking at primary sources. Um, The Library of Congress has some fantastic um, photos that we use. And so we looked at photos to try to show what rural life was like. Um, I try to find as many as I could from the South since I'm from Georgia. Um, So find those photos so they could see some of the things. And then, okay, when you do your interviews, maybe these are some things that you can bring up that you could talk about. And then um, the Library of Congress also has um, some interviews during the Great Depression when they went around and they interviewed people um, for the American life histories. We looked at some of those from that period about what it was like to work as a woman and what it was like to have experiences with dancing. And then there was um, some oral histories on automobiles. And so from that, they were they realize that history really can be about anything. It doesn't have to be about a war. It can be about what it was like to cook or what music we did or how we dated even, where we shopped, those sorts of things. And so then they could take that information and they could go, okay, so when I'm interviewing someone and they want to talk about those things, I don't need to cut them off. I don't need to stop them. Let that story unravel. And then I can really gain something from that. So after we looked at the primary sources and we discussed them, then they went um, and they interviewed each other in the classroom just to kind of get that awkwardness of talking to people out of the way. Um, And so we did that throughout the semester. And then finally, after Thanksgiving, during Thanksgiving, um, they went and they talked to those community members and they did the oral history. From here, what we are going to do is we're going to um, take things from 
those stories. Um, if there was a specific place that was mentioned, if there was a specific event, and then we're going to go to the archives and we're going to say if we can get something that can match up to that. For instance, if somebody mentioned that there was a place that they all used to hang out, let's see if we can find a picture of that hangout place. So that's going to be from there. What we're then going to do is we're going to take pieces of the interviews and quotes and put those on placards to display along with primary sources. And we have this huge display case, and that will be our um, display for this project is going to be the voices from the past. You know, you'll have like a QR link to the YouTube video. You'll have the snippets from the conversation. You'll have the primary sources. And then in a few years, we have our 200th anniversary for the county. And so we'll be able to tie all that in together. The um, person who does our downtown Thomaston, he wants to get us to be able to use that display as part of the celebration on the square. So it's we've got a, a while to do everything, but that's where we are right now. Wow, thank you so much for that great description. I would love to hear more about how you use library sources, because you said you used both oral histories and images. Were you looking in specific collections, or do you have any advice for teachers looking for primary sources beyond images? So what I did for the image search is I did a search for rural um, history or rural Georgia or rural farming or rural mills because we were a mill village. Um, And so I tried to find things to tie in that way. I did try Georgia. There wasn't as much. Also, um, the Library of Congress, the one that I did for the oral history is actually a lesson plan that I found in the Library of Congress. And so it talks about teaching social history and it it was perfect. It was so perfect for my project. I was so excited to have found it because it talks about like how you can look at social history, like what is social history and how to define it. When you listen to these oral history interviews, how to take those questions um, and create questions based on what you are hearing or what you are reading. In a lot of the cases, we looked at the transcripts. And so there's a lot of different things. There's music in there, just a lot of stuff that you could grab and you could entice your kids with. You mentioned taking the interviews that your students did and researching further what the interview subjects talked about. Are you researching with your community partners in that way? Yeah, our community partner, um, we have a local archives, which we are so lucky to have because we're a tiny little community, but we have this local archives here and it has a lot of information, primary sources. Um, People in the community find value in the archives and so people donate things all the time. And so we have a great deal of primary sources and photos. We actually had two local newspapers, also yearbooks. We've done this in the past before, before this project where I take my kids there for a field trip. And so um, I've before, before I had a scope, I just said, okay, what would you like to research in the archives and go? Like this is you having carte blanche to do whatever you want, wherever you want to take this research. So that was something um, that I've had in the past, a connection with the lady who works there as an archivist. So what I'm going to do for this is we're going to listen for certain things and then, you know, 
reach out to her. What can you pull for us possibly so that when we do go there or if she wants to send them digitally, but either way, what can you pull for us that we could then use? I'm curious how you're finding your interview subjects. Are these volunteers from the community or are they interviewing family members or someone specific assigned? That's that's a great question. I actually talked to the archivist ahead of time because I wasn't sure. Um, we do have a few people who are not from the area. So I thought, is there a possibility that we could have people who would be willing to serve as subjects for interviewing if needed? And so she asked some people who are regulars going into the archives all the time, and they said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Just let us know if we need to. But most of them did want to interview a grandparent or a neighbor or somebody from their church, somebody that they did have a connection to. And I found that that actually worked really well because they really wanted to know what they had to say and they really wanted to hear those stories more so than if it were somebody that they might have a looser, if no connection at all to. So that was really good. And what a lot of my students told me was that they got such a like deeper understanding of who that person was, but also a better appreciation for things that they may have gone through that they really, they didn't know, they didn't realize. So I'm, I'm glad that they did have grandparents or, you know, older people from church that they could connect to. What are some of the rewards and benefits you noticed completing a public history project like this? I think the biggest thing was that I really wanted them to appreciate local history and that from this, so many of them are more interested in social history, which is my big passion. Um, I'm not a political historian. Um, When I went to school and majored in history, it was definitely not the wars or the military. Um, It was the people. And I think that that's something that they've gained from this is that people have a story to tell and that everybody has something that is worthy of hearing and everybody has a past and that you can gain something from that, but also that their town has history that they may overlook. And so, so many of them have said, you know, in my interview subject, we talked about this one place. And so now when I drive past that place, I think of this. And so they're connecting to the town in a way that they hadn't before. But also me listening to these histories like um, that they've submitted, I'm getting the same thing. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. I'm not from here. But that's so cool that that existed and that building is still here and it's serving a purpose. So I think that's really the biggest thing is that I wanted them to appreciate the local history and I really get to see their passion for that. Awesome. Now, on the flip side, what are some of the challenges that you've had while completing uh, this public history project? Um, teenagers are procrastinators and, uh, <laughs> I mean, all of us have a little bit of it, but that, that's definitely, they're, they're procrastinators, but also they have like a feeling of, oh, I can accomplish this. No big deal. So, um, I really learned that I had to give them tighter deadlines with things instead of, um, saying, okay, I need this, this all needs to be done by this time. I thought, Okay. I'm going to need to like rein in and and segment it. So if I had the big picture, everything needs to be done by this time. Okay, let's do little steps. And along the way, say, let's do this part and it's due this day and this part and it's due that day. Because I found that they were 
they were pushing things off further than I would like them to. Also, I think scheduling uh, with this being um, the holiday season, once Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything, everybody has like sorts of things that they're doing. They're also involved in sports and all of that. So I think that having like a very specific timeline of when to get things accomplished and holding them to it and making sure they have enough time to get that done and not allowing them to procrastinate that would be helpful in the future to keep in mind. My last question is really, do you have any advice for other educators who are interested in creating a public history project like yours? I think to not get bogged down with the idea of that's too much work. There's there's no way. There's no way I could do that. Or there's no way that my students would do that. Some of my most ambivalent students were my most passionate students about this. And I think that it if you have something where they can make a connection to it, they really get excited and that it that's worth anything else. Even though this was not the whole scope of what we were doing the whole semester, because of this, I saw them getting more excited about the other things that we were doing, and they were more engaged and more willing to work than I think they would have been if it was just, okay, we're going to come to the school and we're going to do this part of history. There, there was always this underlying thing that really connected the whole class. And so I think there is great benefit in doing something, but not be scared by the extra work. It really, it doesn't feel like extra work. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much to Bethany Norris for giving us a sneak peek into her creative process. Stay tuned to hear from one of her students, Stephanie Nip, discuss her thoughts on conducting oral history interviews. So a couple things that I really got from doing the oral interview project was the fact that back then with my uncle, he, it, it surprised me really, was the lack of gender bias. Like, I highly expected there to be more of, like, a segregation of, you know, the women stay in the kitchen and the house and, you know, they're not allowed to have sort of power, I guess. And the men were like, oh, big, you know, toxic masculinity kind of stuff like we're used to hearing. But for him, he told me that if women wanted to be in a stance of power that they were allowed to. He talked about how he knew plenty of women that were in powerful positions. Like he had a female coach at one point. He had female principals, female teachers. If the women wanted to be in those positions of power, they were allowed to and they were respected just as much as the men were. And that honestly really surprised me. And then something else that kind of got me was the fact that his story is so important, even though... It feels like it was forever ago, but it was, it's been only like maybe 30 years. It's weird to think about the fact that we're growing up so close together, but the thing is, it feels completely separate. It feels like he is part of some other timeline that I have no idea about, but we've experienced things together, like with COVID and, you know, even with some of the riots. It's weird to think about the fact that we've been through those things together, but we also have completely different sort of outlooks on it. Like he appreciates the fact that he's still alive, doesn't take for granted a day that he's given because he realizes how easily it can be taken away from him. But with more of my generation, we take pretty much everything for granted. He 
really appreciated everything. And my uncle went through a lot. Um, he obviously grew up a lot different than me. And, and I guess just the biggest thing I've taken away from this project is I need to be more grateful and understanding of the things that I'm given. And that the life that I'm living right now, even though some small inconveniences can make it seem bad, it is nothing compared to the life my uncle lived. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will also listen to other teachers, community partners, and students as they share their impressive public history projects that connect students with their community's history. You can find all the stories on our website at nche.teach.com. Org. This podcast has been produced by Regina Holland, Program Manager at National Council for History Education, and Talia Smith, the Teaching with Primary Sources intern at the Library of Congress. NCHE is a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium. This podcast contains samples of Bulldoze Blues by Eleanor Ellis and Henry Thomas. It was retrieved by Deanne Arthur and Rick Arthur via the collection of Music Box Project materials found at the Archive of Folk Culture American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. It can also be found on the Citizen DJ website. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to all of the teachers, community partners, and students who participated in the creation of this podcast. Until next time. <laughs>